0: Uh, Wow, you all are social this morning. Um, I hate to shut down the fellowship you all are enjoying. It's like the greatest thing for a pastor to see is everyone is loving one another, greeting one another in the peace of the Lord. But we got a sermon to listen to and I got a sermon to preach. So, um, if you can hear me, clap once. If you can hear me, clap twice. All right, thank you. Uh, well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here and at the Transit Church. This is one of your first times here. We'd love to go through uh, God's Word from the pulpit. He's got a lot more greater things to say than I do. And so we want to honor God's Word and give you uh, the true food of the Word. And so what we've been doing for the past uh, few months is we've been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You this is your first time in church or Maybe you're muted to the Christian faith. You don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest recording te- recorded teaching of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And the Gospels are the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus essentially is teaching his people, this is what it looks like when I become king in your heart and king in your life. Everything Changes your relationship when you confess Christ as Lord of your life, your relationship to God changes, and your relationship and posture to the world changes. Everything changes when you confess the Lordship of Jesus over your life. And so today, we're going to be in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. If you have your Bibles or you have an app, tap there, turn to Matthew 7, 7 through 12. And we're looking at uh, a pretty famous, two famous passages that seem completely unrelated. And one, if you've uh, are been a Christian for a while, you know that uh, this passage is pretty popular in prayer where Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Ask, it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open." And then he talks about the goodness of God. And he says, you who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your perfect father give good gifts to you? So that's, that's kind of the main thrust is, wow, look at God. Look at his, he invites us to come and he, he has the ability to provide and he wants to provide for us. And he wants to hear from his redeemed sons and daughters, right? And then in our text today, we're also looking at the golden rule in verse 12, which, which we'll look at here soon, which is, as you wish others would do for you, do on to them. And at first, they kind of seem, not contradictory, but unrelated, and we're going to see at the end here of how they're related and what Jesus, most importantly, is inviting us to. Whenever we posture our hearts to receive from God's word, we always need to ask, Jesus, what are you inviting me into? Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal where I'm walking towards things I shouldn't be walking towards and how I can turn, repent, and, and, and walk towards you again in faith and obedience. So let's uh, read God's word, and then we will pray and dive in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son to chase after us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to seek us, Lord, when we were lost, when we were chasing after other things, while we were sinners, God, you came running for us. Jesus, you died on the cross for us. And so we are all here today because you first sought us out. You're the God who chased after us first. And we simply responded to your undeserved grace and love and kindness. So would you warm our affections for you today, Jesus? Would you help us to see that you have better waters to offer us than anything any drink this world would tempt us with, with, the rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit, that you die to pour out upon us, Lord Jesus. And I ask in this brief time that, Father, you would have your way with your people and your word. And Holy Spirit, you magnify Jesus. Help us to see you, Jesus, as truly worthy and valuable and precious as you are. And will we leave here not under condemnation not under guilt, but in glad delight of how good you are to us. And may it be your goodness that leads us to chase after you that you are better than anything else this world could offer us. So I pray up here that, Jesus, you would be magnified, you would increase, and I would decrease. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. How many of you were here last week or heard the message from last week? We're going to do a quick recap. Wow, none of you. Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to shelve this. I'm just going to repeat last week's sermon. So uh, last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 43. It's a very famous text where Jesus addresses our anxiety. And what we looked at last week is three times in Matthew 6, 25 through, I believe, 34. Jesus says, do not be anxious. I tell you, don't be anxious. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Don't you love it when you read the scriptures and kind of the presupposition of God's people is we're all going to be like a worried, freaked out mess, right? Because Jesus has to tell us three times, right? don't be anxious, don't be anxious. And what did Jesus say that we're going to be anxious about? We're going to be anxious about our life, our our basic needs, food, clothing, water, shelter, all that stuff. And the reason that Jesus gives uh, why we shouldn't be anxious is he says because you and I, if you're in Christ and you profess Christ's lordship over uh, your life, you are no longer rejected and abandoned and alone. You're not on your own anymore. God now has become your father, your Abba, your Papa. he's, He's a good father who delights in You And this is what we looked at last week. Not only does God the Father delight in you, he knows the innermost details and needs of your life and also loves to lavish his grace and his provision upon your life. And so what we saw last week was that conquering our anxiety is not just about what you know. Most importantly, it's about who you know. If we go to Jesus and Jesus say, hey, Jesus, help me conquer uh, anxiety, Jesus would say, well, let me tell you about who your father is. Let me point you to the goodness of your father. Jesus says, don't be scared. You have a great dad. He's perfect. He's present. He's powerful. He's promised to provide. And the reason I I recap that is because with this week, I've said a lot about prayer last week and last week's message. So I'm not going for the sake of repetition. I'm not going to repeat what I repeated last week in regards to God's posture towards us, how he invites us to come. He promises to provide for our needs, all that stuff that we find in our text today. Instead, What I'm going to be talking about is a little bit different because at first glance, our text today, Matthew 7, 7 through 12, it seems that Jesus is just talking about prayer. And the truth of the matter is Jesus is not just talking about prayer. He's talking about pursuit. He's talking about pursuit. Today's text is not about how to get your prayers answered or tips to a better praying life. It's all about who and what you're ultimately pursuing with your life. Exhibit A. In the text we just read, Jesus says, Jesus doesn't just say ask and you will receive. And then he says, let me tell you about your father. And yes, he says, ask. And then what does he say next? Tell me, what does he say next? Seek. And then what, I need you guys to help me preach this morning. And what else does he say? Knock. That's a pursuit, right? The impression we get there is, is, is not this passive prayer, right? But it's uh, to get something, but a passionate pursuit of someone, okay? And that's what we're going to be looking at Jesus not advocating passive passive prayer for something but a wholehearted pursuit of someone and and that's what prayer is at its core right prayer is not transactional it's relational it's relational and what we're looking at today the title of my sermon is this uh, and I frame this from the scriptures from John 1 Jesus asked the disciples that came from John the Baptist that began to follow him he turned he said what are you seeking Jesus, was not, Jesus did not care about how many people were following him. He wanted to know why they were following him. And so they started, uh, the two apostles from John the Baptist, uh, the disciples who started following Jesus, Jesus turned and says, what are you seeking? So the title of my sermon today is this. "Is what are you chasing after? What are you chasing? What are you seeking? Definition of to chase is this. I love this definition. Um, it comes from Google, so the credibility is whatever. But it's a great definition, all right? To chase, an earnest or frenzied seeking after something desired. An earnest and frenzied seeking after something desired. And the bottom line is this. Is, watch this. This is, this is what I'm getting at. Jesus in our text is talking about prayer, but he's not just talking about prayer. Does that make sense? Because this is how it relates. That which we are seeking, that which we are ultimately chasing after with our life, changes what we're praying for. Our seeking is connected to our asking. And if you want to know what you're ultimately seeking and what you desire in your life, just audit your prayers and what you're asking God for. Our seeking reorients our asking. Our life's greatest aim, our life's greatest delight, our life's greatest joy frames out our life's greatest and most consistent prayers that we request to our Father. It's our seeking and our knocking is directly related to what we're asking for. It's, it's, it's not just fun facts about prayer today. It's what, why do I exist? Why are we here? What are we seeking as the body of Christ? Because how we answer this question completely changes how we pray, what we pray for, and why we pray. So three invitations today, if you're taking notes, and the clock went out on the back there, so if I preach for two hours, somebody throw a tomato at me. Um, three invitations today. Let's humbly repent, Of chasing after idols that don't satisfy let's humbly repent of chasing after idols that don't satisfy and then and then repentance looks like something and then let's gladly chase after the living God and lastly let's zealously chase after his kingdom and I might have the team later in my sermon pull up that first worship song Um, that goes I did not plan that I didn't ask them It goes perfectly well with my last point all right first point Let's humbly repent of chasing after idols that do not satisfy us. So here's the simple truth of our life. All of us at all times are constantly chasing after something or someone to give us life and meaning and significance and satisfaction. The default setting of your life out of the womb is worship. Okay, it's another way of saying worship. Is we were created to worship and we worship 24-7. Our hearts are constantly seeking delight, constantly seeking worship of someone or something right? Imagine uh, you own a car that doesn't have a brake pedal. And imagine that you have a car that is all, the gas pedal is always to the floor. So you're always going like redlining in fifth gear, okay? That's your heart. That's your heart, heart chasing after things. So I think we have this false notion that we can just pop our hearts into neutral, that once we stop chasing after the Lord, we stop chasing after idols. That's not true at all. Once we stop getting our eyes fixed on Jesus, we need to ask not, not necessarily where I'm just coming from, but what am I running to? Where am I running? To you and I only have control over the direction, not the fact that we are headed in a direction. Does that make sense? Okay. And so the implication is this, is that you and I will either chase after the Lord or someone or something else, and that something else is what Scripture would call an idol. An idol is something in this world, besides God, that we value, treasure, and seek after to give us only what God has promised. And the common refrain in Scripture is that there will be a constant battle. Like if our heart has a steering wheel towards the living God or towards things of the world, what scripture makes crystal clear is there's a constant battle in your life of, 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 where that's, where the, of the steering wheel, of your heart's desires and your heart's satisfaction, right? Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil will always seek to grab the steering wheel and turn us away from the Lord and onto the things of the world. And what this means is that your life, the Christian life, is a war for your affections. It's a war for your joy, a war for your delight. And I had a bunch of scripture texts to share and I took them all out. And I'm just going to share this one, but there's a ton of biblical evidence to back this up. But James 1 through 4 says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What's the war? Pursuing God or pursuing things of the world? Pursuing the true God or pursuing false gods, idols, right? That's the war within us. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. That's a great line, right? And that's what Jesus is, is inviting us into: is you do not have asking, you shall receive. You do not have because you don't ask. God invites us to come to Him and to ask, so that uh, He can lavish His grace and kindness and provision upon us. But yet we always quote that, but we never keep reading. This is the danger of quoting scriptures out of context. Out of context. Out of context. Verse three says this: You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then look at what we see here next: You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. One of the most dangerous things in our life that we need to watch after is our love for the things of this world. Because what James, the brother of Jesus, making crystal clear, is that will train wreck our faith. All the things that bring us comfort and joy and delight in this world will train wreck our faith. And he takes it a step further. He says... It's adultery. And the reason I share all that is this, is if you agree with me that our text is not just about prayer, but it's about pursuit and seeking the living God, which prayer is, by the way, you're not going just to pray to get, you're actually seeking a person in prayer. The bottom line is this, if we're first going to seek God, we need to first and foremost stop seeking after idols because that which we chase after with our lives changes what we ask for in prayer. And until we realize this, of why I exist and what I truly am desiring with the precious life God has given me, until we realize this, this is going to be heavy, we're going to, we're going to go grace, we're going to go, this is a little heavy, I'm pushing against some idols here, in my own heart and in our heart, is until we realize this reality, that that which we are seeking affects our praying, our prayer life will become nothing more than using the true God to give us provision to worship false gods. Our prayer is what James is saying. Call that adultery. Your passions, your passions that wage war within you, they're all a mess. They're distorted, and it's distorted your prayers. So now, now that you go seek the living God who redeemed you by the death and the blood of his son, you now cry out and petition God the Father to supply you what you need to bow down and live your life to pursue demonic false gods. Boom, right? That's heavy. That's heavy. And this is why I want to I press in here a little bit and just simply ask the question man let us posture my heart it's a question I'm resting under and I'm wrestling with this week and I want us to wrestle with is God search me oh God where am I chasing after things of this earth where am I delighting in things that don't ultimately matter and then if that is my highest end goal in my life my greatest aim in life is the American dream is just safety and provision for all my my life and that's the only thing I'm going to ask God for that's what I'm going to ask God for in prayer and so then it begs the question, how do we know what idols are in our heart that we're seeking after? And the response is this, and, uh, and I'll get to the response here. Who and what are you praying most for in your life? And, and I don't want anyone to not come to the Father with all their anxiety. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Come to me, weary and heavy laden with your anxious thoughts about provision and your needs, come to me. So we should do that repeatedly and consistently, come to God just as we are with our needs. But is that all we're praying for? Is that all we're praying for? And if that is all we're praying for, then we need to ask, what am I aiming for with my life? Just safety and comfort and provision. Because the, the, the biggest thing I wanna hone in on is this, is, is transit family, just speaking as family here, someone who's under God's word as well. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rocking this. You know, I'm not batting a 1,000 like this is this, is are we, are we the beloved and the redeemed of God? Are we not called to something far greater than just mere safety and provision in our lives? We are not called to safety, we are called to significance. We are called to advancing, not to hiding, and asking for God's provision while we hide from the world that's burning. We've been redeemed and then commissioned to go back from where we've been redeemed from, to be agents of reconciliation. Is is that the cry of our hearts? Is that what we're praying for, or are we just asking God the Father to help us live out the American dream? And the Lord's prayer uh, makes this crystal clear. Jesus teaches us how to pray, and what we see in the Lord's prayer. And then I'm going to segue. We're, we're I'm, I'm going to stop pressing against our idols. I'm segue. Exit stage left. Here is this in the Lord's prayer when Jesus teaches us how to pray, He does say He does say, Ask God for your daily bread and provision, and deliver us from the evil one and and, and, and don't, don't help us not walk into temptation. But first and foremost, what Jesus teaches us when he teaches us how to pray, he says, get your eyes fixed on the heavens and on your father who's in the heavens. Here's a place, here's a person that your whole life is gonna be lived in the face of. And then your prayer is this. It's your name, it's your glory, it's your kingdom, and it's your will. That, that's why I exist. And so we have to, re, there needs to be a realignment today. There's a call to repentance, a call for the Holy Spirit to come and search our, hearts so that we can walk into newness of life, not stay in condemnation, but repent and walk in newness of life. This is what I want to say, and this frames what we pray for and why we pray and how much we pray. God does not exist to serve your agenda. We exist to serve his agenda. And that changes everything about how we pray. That changes everything about how we pray. God does not exist to be our bellboy, to be a cosmic slot machine. We just ask, we receive, he'll give us whatever we want, $300,000 $300,000 Ferrari, 18 houses, yada, yada, all that stuff. No, we are on this planet Earth to serve our king, to love our king, to pursue his kingdom. He does not exist to serve our agenda. We exist to worship, to love, and to serve his agenda. And so yes, God is a good father who provides and consistently invites us to ask him to provide for our needs. And then the question for us today is, but would you, um, would you want God the Father to provide you with wealth and comfort if it would harden your heart towards him. Would you want God the Father as you cry out, God, I need wealth. God, I need retirement. God, I need that second house. I need that investment. I need increase. And God gives that to you and, it, and, and you take it and it completely makes you lukewarm. There's no passion. There's no love. There's no delight in him because you're drowned and inundated with all the comforts of this world. Would you, what would you rather have? What would you rather want God to give you. And my follow-up question to that, is there not a greater thing to pray for? Is yes, meet those needs, but those basic temporal, physical needs, are, are, are they pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And the gospel, I know this is heavy, and so I'm not shouting and hooting and hollering as much, because I think the word itself is heavy, but the gospel frames how we pray, why we pray, and what we pray for. What we pray for. And there's a greater thing to pray for a greater thing that we can chase after with our life. And so let's do that today oh, at the end. Let's, I'll, I'll invite us to ask the Holy Spirit to come and bring us the sweet, undeserved blessing of conviction of sin where we're walking in darkness so that we can walk into uh, newness of life to things, to the one who ultimately satisfies. So that's my first point. Second point is let's gladly chase after our king. Um, here's the gospel, here's the gospel. The greatest gift of the gospel is not what we get. It's who we get. Right? I mean, we can easily take this text we're looking at, Matthew 7, completely out of context of the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, don't you dare lay up treasures on heaven. And then we say, all right, American dream is my God. God, come and meet all my needs. He's going to provide, he's going to provide, he's going to provide, okay? And we've been inviting to something far greater. The greatest gift of the gospel is not that we get a God who just gives us all these things, it's that we get God. John Piper is famous for saying that God is the gospel. We get to know the living God, transit family. The God who's present with us, who's filled us with his Holy Spirit, who's still moving and sweeping across the face of the, the God who wants to to get all up in your space. We know God. The same God that is Isaiah 40, stretched out the galaxies like you do when you make your bed, your blanket. He spoke and he stretched them out. That same God you and I have access to. That's the greatest gift on the whole planet Earth. My sins have been forgiven. Why? Because that which once separated me, God dealt with so that he can get me and dwell with me forever. Genesis to Revelation is God's heart to dwell in the midst of his people. That's how the book begins, and that's how the book ends. Is God's delight. I just want to be with you. That's the greatest gift, is God, his presence, his peace, his love for you and with that being our greatest joy and that being our greatest aim to love god and to know him and to seek after him all of a sudden our anxieties about our provision don't have a death grip on our throat and our jugular because god you provided me the gift of your son and he who possesses christ possesses everything that he needs forever forever it's a far greater reality far greater aim And so this is a mega theme in Scripture, a mega theme in Scripture, and I'm going to fly through these verses. If you want my notes, I can send you my notes. Uh, God constantly invites his people to pursue him. Why? So they're satisfied in him. It's not a guilt. I'm going to get out of Okay, here we go. Proverbs eight 17. I'm going to read through these, all right? I hope they're on the screen. Good luck, uh, John. Keep it up with me. All right, Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Psalm 119 to Blessed are those who keep his statutes. And, and watch that word seek. Seek him with all their heart. That's a chasing after God. Everything I have is coming full sprint towards the living God who came at me with everything he had. Okay? 1 Chronicles 16 11. I love this. Get a tattoo of this in Hebrew. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Let not a second go by where you are not abiding and fellowshipping with the living God. What a gift. God of the galaxies. I can talk to you. Matthew 22, 37 through 38. Jesus says it this way. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, other gospels, and with all your strength. This is the great and the first commandment. Let me say this. The reason you exist is to chase after God with every fiber of your being. Jesus says says, the greatest commandment of your life is to love God. The greatest commandment of your life is to delight in God, is to praise him, is to worship him, is to know him and to abide with him. What a great commandment. What a great God. The, The command of God here is, hey, just stay close to me. I redeemed you so that we could get close. We could hang out. We could talk. We could fellowship. We could abide together. And as I hang out with you, I'll change the desires of your heart. Just get close to me. Don't run away from me. Come near. I've drawn near to you. Draw near to me. John Piper says this, nothing in all the world is more important than experiencing love for God in your heart. The single most important thing in your life, the greatest thing that you can be aiming at with your heart is God and love for him and delight in him. Continue, John 15, four through five. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, You've often heard me preach this text, and I focus on, you can't do anything apart from abiding. You die, you wither and die. And uh, I was re- re- re-reading this recently, and the Lord said, Nick, you, you missed something, brother. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Like, don't focus on the negative, focus on the positive. Like, if you want to bear much fruit for the kingdom of God in your life, Jesus says, abide in me. Come talk to me, seek me in prayer and fasting and worship and the fellowship of believers and, and, uh, and praise. Hebrews eleven 6, I'm just giving you the, and I had more verses I had to take out. Hebrews eleven six. 6, now without faith it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If I were to uh, say something there, he satisfies those who seek him, that he satisfies those who seek him. When you believe that and you've tasted and seen that God is good, you'll chase after him because there ain't no, there ain't no sweeter waters than the living God. As so I say amen to that. Right? When you taste and see, it, 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 when you taste and see just a, an ounce of his power and his goodness in your life, it ruins you for anything else that this world could dangle in front of your face. James 4.8, here's a promise. Draw near to God, and what will he do? With his presence, he will draw near to you. So this begs the question, okay? We talked about all these invitations of God. Draw near to me. Talk to me. I want to hear from you. Pursue me, right? And it begs the question, is God like a super needy, lonely, junior high girl who has like a crush on us? Like, like what's happening here? Right? Like, he needs to be satisfied. Uh, like, God created us because he was super lonely, right? That's not, that's not true. That's not the gospel. God is all sufficient in and of himself, uh, right? Like, we understand that. He's all sufficient in himself. He doesn't need us to chase after him. What, what he knows is this, is that uh, um, we need to chase after him. That's what he knows, is that our greatest need is him. So then watch this. So God, all those verses I've just shared, the most loving thing God can do is continually and consistently through his word tell people, come to me. I am what you're seeking. I've designed you. I've hardwired you for worship. Don't worship false gods. Come and worship and delight in the true and living God. That's the greatest summons of love from God to us: to seek me, draw near, abide in me. And there might be, I actually had a, a lunch appointment a while back with someone who um, I was kind of given like, a, just kind of talking about, what we want to chase after at the transit. And uh, the language I used was like, yeah, we want to just pursue the Lord and pursue the Holy Spirit and his kingdom advancing in love and power. And the person stopped me and goes, I don't like that word, pursue. I don't like that word, pursue. And then I just quoted a bunch of verses at him. But anyways. uh, (laughs) um, And uh, the rebuttal there, the response, and maybe some of you are wrestling with this, is God is holy. We need to tread cautiously. What do you mean chase after God? What do you mean seek God? Like positionally in Christ, how can I get any closer? How can I be any more of a son, right, in Christ Jesus? And there is a world of difference between our eternal union with Jesus. That's our position in Christ. Our eternal union, that I am beloved of God, I am a son, can never change. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Like, that's, that's dealt with. Death and resurrection, like, I am his, and he is mine, forever. Now, there's a world of difference between our eternal union with God, and our experiential communion with him. Although our position in Christ cannot change, our passion for him can. Our passion for him can. Um, Which leads Dane Ortland. I love this. If you guys haven't read Gentle and Lowly, do yourself a favor by that and read it. Dane Ortland talks about that rebuttal of, I don't like this language of chasing after God, we should be cautious and measured in our approach to God. Our unbelieving hearts tread cautiously here. Is it not presumptuous audacity to draw on the mercy of Christ in an unfiltered way? Shouldn't we be measured, reasonable, careful not to pull too much on him? I love his response. Would a father with a suffocating child want his child to draw on the oxygen tank in a measured and reasonable way? Our greatest need in life is God. That's the greatest aim of your life. Jesus says, the greatest aim of your life, if you're here, you're wondering, Nick, you said repent of chasing after idols and the, what you're seeking after changes what you for, pray for. But the greatest aim of your life, Jesus is saying, is to love God. It's to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the reason I share all this is that if our greatest need and delight in life is to chase after and delight and love and delight in God above all else, then watch this. This completely reorients what we pray for. It completely shifts how we pray pray. Example, exhibit A, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If your greatest life aim is, as you say, Heavenly Father, on this side of glory, I want to see and to know and encounter and experience as much of you as I can. What's going to be your number one prayer? Purity of heart. That's what you're going to be praying. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, will be your cry. That will be your heart. Purify me. Cleanse me from idols. Those things that are robbing me of my affection for you, that are cooling my affections for you. If your greatest heart cry, and that's a great chief end, by the way, and it goes perfectly with, with the greatest commandment, Jesus. My greatest aim, I want to see you and encounter you and experience and love as much of you as I can handle. Then man, is, that's, that's a far greater motivation for personal holiness than anything else this world can offer. And that's often why we, we always struggle with holiness is because we just preach holiness as an end in and of itself. Just stop sitting, stop doing all these bad things. Well, no, be consecrated for the higher aim that you can see God more clearly and that there's more that he wants to offer you If we would stop feasting on and with idols, there's something better. That's what I'm saying. There's there's not something better. There's someone better we're invited to fellowship with. There's someone better. when we make that our chief end to know and experience and love the living God, it changes how we pray. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. For (laughs) For the glory of God. Jose, you have permission to leave now and go to a Brazilian steakhouse. Uh, if you've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse, it's one of those places where it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet, but it comes to your table. And uh, it's like the fu- if, if you're vegan or pescatarian, sorry if this triggers you. Um, but basically, all they offer is, is, is animal meat. Like I'm talking like ribeyes, fillets, bacon wrap, chicken bacon wrap filets, bacon wrapped everything, like bacon wrapped in bacon, like they just come and bring it to your table. And you know it's a good place to eat when they literally at your table give you a stop sign. You ever been there? They give you a token. It's like red light, green light. Like, like you have a green light, which means, yo, keep that meat coming. Keep it coming. And then finally, you have to throw and, and the first one at the table, this is always hard. I was, uh, I was at an Acts 29 cohort in December, and I was tragically the first, and I was the second person to flip over the green to the red. And that's a, that's a humbling moment there when you're like, all right, stop sign. Please stop coming my way. I might die if I eat another filet, okay? And what's so funny is a while back, my first experience with uh, eating at a Brazilian steakhouse is I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a, a, good, a good friend of mine is a foodie and he always likes to go uh, meet at these places and, and all this stuff. And so I, my first time going was with him and he gave me this insider tip. He said, listen, this is how they try to scam you. This is how they try to beat the system. They have a rocking salad bar up there. You ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? You know, they got like the best salad bar you'll ever see. Like everything you could ever imagine is at that salad bar and, and you could be razzled and dazzled and be like, wow, this is the best I've ever seen. This is amazing. And my buddy said, don't you dare grab a plate from that salad bar. Or don't you touch that. Because if you do, why? Why, 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 why? It fills you up. There's something better in store for you. And if you get filled up on that, you won't be able to get filled up on the something better. You won't be able to, if you get satisfied on the lesser, you won't be able to get satisfied by the greater, right? And so my buddy came back with like one spinach leaf on his plate and then, and then we feasted for the glory of God and I didn't eat for like 21 days. Um, but here's what I'm getting at is satisfaction in God comes from realizing that he is better than anything this world has to offer. And not only is he better, but I think we need to realize this is that there's more that he wants to unveil. I think sometimes we profess Jesus as Lord and, um, and, and we think that God's done with us. We think that there's never gonna be any more powerful encounters or, or, or powerful experiences with him and loving moments where we hear a still small voice whisper to us. We say, God's done. But listen, if God is continually inviting us to come to him, it means that he's got an eternal, uh, uh, resource. there's no supply chain issues with his presence and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. So if he invites us to come, the presupposition behind that desiring and seeking me is that I have more to offer you. And if we're so busy filling up on the salad bar, we're gonna miss out on the true satisfaction that God brings. Psalm 107.9 says this. And this is, and this is the lie of every idol, right? Is that he sat, the, the idol we chase after satisfies our longing soul. But what Psalm 107.9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. God is after, watch this, God is after filling your hearts with satisfaction in his presence. He's after your joy. He's after your delay. He's not a cosmic hill joy. That's the reason we want to repent. That's the reason today, with my first point, I'm saying stop feasting at the salad bar. Stop filling your plate with things of this earth that are robbing you of actually saying, turning the stop sign to God and saying, I don't, I'd rather scroll through Netflix and Facebook than actually in the news than chase after you. Stop scrolling and start seeking the Lord. I mean, when you—I mean—abiding uh, with and fellowship with the living God, or scrolling on copious amounts or amounts of social media, and I, we've all been there, right? maybe just me, to uh, be honest. You know, whatever. Like scrolling things that ultimately don't matter, or seeking the face of the living God, who's promised to uh, to provide. He's promised that there's more that I want to give you. First Corinthians 14:1 says this: Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. Do you know that there's more spiritual gifts God wants to give to you? I, like, I'll just, cats out of the bag, like we're continuationists here at The Transit Family, like on October 2019, I didn't ask for it, I started speaking in tongues. There's more gifts that God wants to give for you, and if we believe, which we do at The Transit, not because of experience, but because of the scriptures, we believe that those gifts are still for today and absolutely necessary for the edifying and building up of the church and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so if you believe that 1 Corinthians 14, 1, is for today, then let me ask this. In your praying life, if you were to audit your praying life, how, my, how many of your prayer requests are for physical needs versus spiritual needs in your life? Like, let, let me just say it this way. Luke 11:13, verse on the screen says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so let me, just, let me just wager you this. What would you rather God give you? More stuff or more of his spirit? He's got more. How much more? He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Earnestly desire and seek after and pray and fast and ask God to give you more spiritual gifts. Why? So you can bring glory to his name and you can love and edify and build up and encourage and strengthen others. And so then we need to ask and audit our praying life. Lord, am I just constantly praying for physical needs or spiritual needs? Have I prayed for the, for the fruit of the Spirit, not just the gifts, but have I prayed for, Lord, would you, would you bring love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness in my home, in me, in my heart? The fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And the million-dollar question is, is, yes, Nick, I agree. I want to chase after God, but how? How can I gladly seek after the Lord when my heart is just lukewarm and, and I'm just apathetic? I think first first thing is this is you, we just have to finally say enough enough i'm no longer satisfied in my lukewarmness i'm no longer content in my coldness and i'm going to and then secondly and then what you do is you ask for grace this is something i do repeatedly in my life when my heart has grown cold to the lord as you ask i say god where in my life am I chasing after the salad bar so I'm missing out on your presence? Show me, God, reveal that to me. And then secondly, we say, God, would you give me the grace of zeal for you? Grace of enjoying, if you're here today in a season, which, I've, which we've all been in, of I don't actually enjoy time with God. Reading the Bible is arduous. Praying is hard rather than enjoyable. And what I love to do, ask God, for the gift of grace, and fast, and pray, and then seek his face. I think we get God on our calendar, dive into his word, pray, and fellowship, and worship, but also I want to say this, is find someone who's hungry, and start hanging out with them. Find someone who's hungry. You can't do this alone. You need, you need encouragement. You need strengthening. You need accountability. Find someone who's hungry, because here's what I've seen in my own life, is that hunger for God is contagious, when you meet someone who's radically in love with God, who's a little farther along with you, and this is, this is actually how God radically changed my life in October of 2019, is all of a sudden through his providence, I got linked up with someone who was radically chasing after God. And I'm like, I'm not there, but I want to be there. Let me talk. And me just hanging out with him, I uh, led to some amazing things, okay? So the invitation is not just be condemned and shame on you for not seeking God. It's just ask God, God, where am I chasing after the salad bar when you've promised me the bacon rat filet Taste and see that the Lord is good. Isaiah 50, go read Isaiah 55. The call of God is come to me with your need and I will satisfy Okay, so that's the second thing is um, let's stop chasing after idols that don't satisfy. Let's chase after our king who does satisfy. And lastly, the last point is this, is let's zealously chase after the advancement of His kingdom. If our main passion is love of King Jesus and and our heart cries, Lord, I just want with my life that you've given me to see your kingdom advance in love and in your power, then our prayers will reflect that passion. Our prayers will reflect that passion. That Lord, it's your will, it's your kingdom that I wanna see advance more than my kingdom. And so then I sit under this, if I were to audit my praying life, Lord, am I praying more that you would come and serve my kingdom and my will and my glory? Or am I asking God, use me? What's the assignment today? What's the assignment this year? Where are you inviting me to go? And uh, so there's a main debate with our text today. Uh, throw up verse 12 there, John. Okay, so what does is, what is the golden rule have to do with ask, seek, knock? It will be given, the door will be open, the Father will give you good gifts. What does the golden rule in verse 12 have to do? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. I didn't know what to do with this verse after this text, okay? And I actually had it divided up when I broke up all the sermons here at Calendars text the sermon series calendars and the text that would go, I had this next week or two weeks from now because I was going to put that with the narrow gate because I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, Lord, I'm going to have to preach a whole other, like, hey, let's talk about prayer and pursuing God and oh, by the way, like golden rule or whatever. So I was, I was at a conference this past week on, on church uh, growth and, and leadership, and, uh, but church uh, growth and leadership through the lens of uh, leading people to chase after the Lord and, and yield to the power of the Spirit and advancing the kingdom of God. And um, I, was, I, I shouldn't have been doing this, but I was just uh, wrestling with this sermon text. I was was wrestling with this conundrum, and all the commentaries said the same thing. I had no idea how this was connected. They they did their best shot. So I went to the Lord in prayer during worship, and I said, Lord, what in the world does this have to do with asking and seeking and knocking? Because Jesus, you said so. That so there at the beginning is connecting everything he said to the previous thought. Everything he's about to say is inextricably bound to what he just said. So if you see a therefore, if you see a so that or you see a so, you have to immediately go back and reread what you just read because what he's saying is, 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 is inextricably bound. Does that make sense? It's linked to that. So I'm saying, what does this have to do with the golden rule, praying? How are these related? And Emil, I just got this impression. I got this impression. Nick, what does this lost, broken, dying world want the church to start asking God for? What would they want the church to seek after? What doors would the lost and the broken want the church to start knocking on? The golden rule should frame out what we ask for, what we seek after, and what doors we knock on. The golden rule has everything to do with what we ask for, everything we do for what we seek for, everything to do with that. I had a mentor friend of mine say this to me he's like, when you Shelve your walk with Jesus. And you don't seek after the Lord on a consistent basis. You're not the one who misses out. You're not the only one who misses out. Your wife misses out. Your kids miss out. Your neighbors miss out. Your church misses out as well. There's a corporate consequence to what we chase after and what we delight in. J.D. Greer said this quote. He said, if God answered, I'll, I'll say it this way. Think about all the prayers that we prayed this week. I know this is heavy, but it's, I think it's necessary, because there's there's a there's a world that's on fire right now, and we, the church, have this beautiful invitation, beautiful invitation of Jesus, who've been redeemed, to go and redeem the world around us. If God were to answer every prayer that you prayed these last seven days, how many people would come to know Jesus? If God answered every single prayer that you prayed this week, how many people would come to, would be saved, would be in the kingdom? I don't say this to condemn us, but I do say this to to reorient, to realign what we're seeking and what we're chasing after. Because here's the bottom line, is each and every one of you is here in this room today is because someone first asked God for you. Someone asked God for you, right? For me, it was a praying mom, Linda Linda Mudrazo. I want my son to know Jesus. I want my son to know Jesus. I want my son to know Jesus. For some of us in this room, the only reason we're here is because we were on somebody's prayer list and they weren't asking for a, a Gucci couch or a Gucci bag and a 15th you know pair of shoes. They were either saying, go I want souls. I don't want shoes. <laughs> I want your kingdom, not my kingdom. That's where my joy is, is in the harvest, God. And I don't have that. If you don't have that, ask God for that. Fast for that, pray for that. All of us are in this room is because someone first asked for us, and maybe someone didn't just ask, but they, they moved from passive asking to chasing after you, and they sought you out, and they knocked on your door. So my wife, Jen, uh, I'll call the band up, I'm, I'm wrapping up with this. Uh, my wife, Jen, uh, what, didn't grow up a Christian, okay? In high school down in Bridgewater, uh, Virginia, she's a, she has a twin sister, she was the, twi- the Slater twins, they called them the Slater, Slater twins at Turner Ashby High School. They had a reputation. They were known as the party twins, okay? That's my wife in high school. Was everyone knew like, those girls are crazy, okay? And there's this ministry at Turner Ashby uh, uh, High School called Young Life. And raise your hand you know what Young Life is. Okay, not all of you. Young Life is um, like, a pretty much a parachurch ministry that, that they see themselves as missionaries to high schoolers. And so uh, young adults will go and befriend uh, high school students in, in these high schools. And, and the heart of Young Life is we want to reach... Those students that nobody else can. We want to reach the the student that's like so way out in left field, okay? And so, senior year, Jen's senior year, um, she had no affiliation with Young Life, but a friend of a friend invited her to this massive event. It was out in a field where they saw uh, this video, this advertisement for this Young Life camp in the summer. It had tubing, it had like all these adventurous things. And if you've been to a Young Life camp before, they do things with excellence. It's amazing, okay? So, she saw that video and she's like, okay, that looks cool, but I'm not gonna go because. Young Lifers are weird, and it's like, this is like a cult. I don't know, but like this is a cool outdoor event, like whatever. And um, what Jen didn't know, what my wife didn't know is this, is that although she didn't know her Young Life leaders, they knew her. They knew her. And the Young Life leaders preparing for a camp coming up that summer where kids will hear the gospel. The whole purpose of Young Life camp is that they try to get through campaigners, through their weekly meetings throughout the year, is they try to get non-Christians at camp. And at camp, they remove every obstacle that would get in the way of the preaching of the word so that these kids can hear in a clear way where they can understand and then respond to the gospel and give their lives to Jesus. That's the whole, That's kind of the main ministry model of young life. My, my wife didn't know that her leaders who she didn't know were praying for her, they had a list, they had a prayer list. These are the people that are coming to camp from Turner Ashby High School. These are the people that we want to come to camp, that's who we're praying for. And this is the literally, no way in hell will this person ever come to camp list. Guess where Jen and her sister were? No way in hell. Was this person coming to camp? I'm not making this up, you can ask her. No way in hell. But there were some believers, come on church. There were some Christians, there were some Young Life leaders. Who were so consumed, they they knew where they would be apart from Christ. They weren't asking for more shoes, right? Ask God for shoes if you need them. But their heart cry, what they were crying out for was, Give me the Slater twins, God. I know you want them. I know that's your heart, is salvation, is your kingdom coming. So they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. And they didn't stop at prayer, and they sought after. Their feet wet somewhere, their mouth said something. And so a young life leader Jen barely knew and some random, awkward high school student that Jen to this day said was a weird person. Okay? They somehow, they found her address. It's a small town, Bridgewater, all right? They found her address. They walk. They don't just ask and wait God to move. They ask and they go in faith and they seek after and then what happens? And then they knock on her door. And Jen opens the door and had a flyer in their hand Say, hey, we'd love for you to come to camp with us this summer. Ah! And she couldn't afford it. But someone to this day that she doesn't know gave her a scholarship so that her and her sister could go. And so because of some, you know, let's get over our awkwardness. Let's get over our lack of comfort. You know how awkward that car? Kind of, Jen says that was, the, that was the weirdest people I ever met in my life. But she said yes. And she heard the gospel preached from a Young Life staffer who was who made nothing. They get paid, if you, made, if you meet a Young Life staffer, give them money for lunch. They don't make any money. And they said, God, with my life, I don't want to chase after the American dream. You've called me to Young Life. You've called me to these high school students. And that person gave their whole, their whole summer they give to faithfully preach the gospel, to cast that seed of the gospel. And on the same night at that camp, Jen and her sister gave their life to Jesus Christ. Why? Because of some believers that were were so tired of just asking and seeking God for the American dream to fill their pockets and give them a safe and cozy life. They were asking and seeking. The king saying, "God, we love you so much. We want to share in that love. We're going to pursue, pursue who we can pursue. And because of that, my wife is I have, because of that. I have an amazing wife. Thank you, God, for that. But she's saved, and the generations changed forever. All because of what those young lifers were asking and seeking and praying for. So, that's my final question to us is: Is what do we want? What do we want for our lives?" What do we want for our lives? What are we chasing after? What are we seeking? Would we rather live a safe, comfortable life and our our relationship with God is only about provision or do we want to see God's kingdom come in love and in salvation and healing and deliverance? There's something greater Jesus invites us to and that's what the sermon is. The Sermon on the Mount is all. About. So let's quiet our hearts and then we will conclude with communion and one final song of worship. Heavenly Father, uh, I just pray, God, if there was any way that condemnation or shame is resting over and that's not of you, that's of uh, the enemy. And I just break that off in Jesus' name. But Father, I do ask Holy Spirit that you would bring us the grace and the love of your conviction of sin. What for those areas in our life where, we're, where, where we don't even know, but, but even, even those areas where we have no idea, but subconsciously, we're more in love with the world than we are with you, God. We're more in love with our own kingdom than we are with your kingdom, God. Would you bring specific re- revelation, God? And then, and then too, Holy Spirit, would you, what you love to do, Holy Spirit, is reveal the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of Jesus. Would you do that simultaneously, God? Convict us of sin and and convince us of the remedy that Jesus has something far greater to offer us, Lord God. And I pray right now, God, that you right now would bring one person to mind, Holy Spirit, that you want each of us to start praying for that does not know you, Jesus. Just one person at the top of the list, probably a long list, but the one person, God, that you want us to approach the throne of grace with on a consistent basis to ask and to seek after and to knock on their doors, Lord God. Would you do that, God? We want you. God, our hearts are here. What are we seeking when we come here on Sunday morning? Our hearts. We're taking our hearts that are fickle, our hearts that are full of idols, and we're saying, God, cleanse us and purify us so that we can get you, the all-satisfying God, the God of all grace. We're here. We want you, God, and we want what you want. So we say, here we are, Lord. Have your way with our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. All right, well, let's respond with communion. Um, this meal here just reminds us that the invitation to chase after God is just a response to chase after the God who came after us. You know, Philippians two talks about the the, the eternal reign of Jesus, His kingly majesty, and that Jesus actually, in John seventeen his high priestly prayer before he gets betrayed and goes to the cross, didn't ask the Father for safety. He didn't ask the Father for safety. He asked the Father for souls. He asked the Father for you. He asked the Father for me. And then what we learn in Scripture is that Jesus Christ, the reason what he sought after, if we were to ask the question, what did Jesus ask the Father for? Jesus asked the Father for for a world. He looked at the world that was uh, damned in their sins, adulterers. He looked at murderers, He looked at slanders, at gossipers, and he looks to the father and he says, I want that to be my bride that I spend eternity with. That's who I want, Jesus. That world on fire, crippled with sin, running after the devil, that's who I want. And then Jesus didn't just ask, and then he says he came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. To the extent Jesus came and sought after humanity, to the extent that he would lay down his life, pay the highest price. Why? So that you could be reconciled to the Father and have your sins forgiven and experience his grace and kindness in your life. That's what Jesus asked for. The reason you're here in this room is because Jesus asked the Father for you. The reason you're here in this room is because Jesus sought after you. The reason you're here is because Jesus in Revelation three twenty, he knocked on the door of your heart first. And today we get to celebrate his pursuit of us in love to the taking of communion so if you're a follower in the lord jesus christ this is a family meal we encourage you to do that we also encourage you to to to, to the scriptures in first corinthians 13 say examine our hearts let's go to god with a clean slate as we go to his uh, broken body and shed blood for our sins so if there's any areas in your life what i'll do is i'll lead us here but let's go quiet again and examine our hearts as the scriptures encourage us to do before we take of the lord's supper so i'll just pray for us holy spirit before we take and celebrate this precious reminder of your goodness towards us and we feast with you at your table of fellowship, would you, Holy Spirit, reveal any areas where we're feasting with idols? Scriptures say, if you confess your sins to Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you've done that today, your sins are forgiven. And let's take this meal and celebrate the full, final, finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. This represents the body of Christ, broken for your sins, mine. And the blood of Jesus, shed for you. All right. Let's sing one last song of worship to our king, and then I'll close with a benediction.